0: It's the Lens, it's the Lens, it's the Lens gotta live diverse It's the Lens, it's the Lens, it's the Lens live diverse You are listening to the Lens Living Diverse A podcast brought to you by the CNIB Advocacy Team Join Nisha, Vivi, and I as we speak to individuals with intersecting identities Who live with sight loss as they share their unique stories Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of The Lens Living Diverse. I am your host for today. I'm going to be doing it solo, your host Ben, and we have a special episode of The Lens Living Diverse. Uh, I bet everybody always hears me say special episode because I always feel that every episode is special to me. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about Uh, Black parenthood and uh, having that intersecting identity of sight loss incorporated with it. So I am lucky enough to have an amazing guest. I like to call him uh, the soul of uh, Black Voices United, sultry voice, always has trivia going on, always knows his stuff. So I'm going to introduce you to a good uh, friend of mine, um, Martin for today's episode. So, Martin, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very good, Ben. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, I am Martin Springer. Just so you know, I am visually impaired. Also a Black man, just so you guys know. Uh, Father, I have five kids, three biological, two adopted. I also work, but currently I'm off L- on LTD, so I do work. I do IT work for the government, and, you know, that's me in a nutshell. Also, I like long walks and, you know, candlelight dinners.
0: <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, getting a dating profile on the lens of living diversity, eh? Let everybody know who I am. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Martin, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, we're going to have really good conversations because I know we spoke previously and uh, you just have a, such an amazing story with your journey with sight loss. So is it possible you could share with the listeners a little bit about that journey? Uh, sure. Um, I officially
1: lost my sight just about almost at the end of summer of 2016 uh currently don't know what caused my sight loss I like to say that I'm a modern medical mystery I have seen a plethora of doctors you know I've seen the top two neuro ophthalmologists in Ontario I've seen a neurologist I've seen a geneticist I've seen optimal uh know a, a respiratory doctor for you know potential respiratory disease I saw an optiplasty uh, you name it I pretty much have seen a doctor and I've been poked, prodded uh, I probably have given about a gallon's worth of blood had wow. six MRIs done a CT scan a gallium scan had my muscles probed I've had a biopsy done on my tear gland and my muscles Mm-hmm. which was not fun either. So, uh, yeah, it's not been easy. Um, my sight loss originally started in like 2012. It was a very slow, digression, uh, you know, it was just like a really slow decline in my, um, my sight. It started off with, you know, the narrowing of my field of vision, but it was every six months to three months. And then, you know, over a period of time, it picked up really quickly it went from like once a month to like once a week and it was like after that it was like every other day and then it has become mm-hmm. daily and it was like really stressful because it affected not only you know my home life my work life mm-hmm. it affected everything
0: yeah and it's very interesting because still from this day you don't know what caused it at all no
1: no and it's always funny anytime I go see any doctor they're like you know we still talk about you we always bring you know we bring your case up at conventions and you know mm-hmm. when I go to seminars and conferences and you know, like everybody's scratching their head and it's quite interesting because I was having a conversation with a friend the other night about this and she was telling me how her family literally you know mortgaged ever all their money just to find out what was wrong with her. Cause she went, she saw doctors here and they mm-hmm. didn't know what was going on. And they flew her to the UK and within five minutes of walking into the doctor's office, the doctor looks at her, looks at her phone and goes, Oh yeah, you have this. Wow. So, I mean, short sight for me, you know, bankrupting myself to go, you know, and check a doctor on the other side of the pond, it would be nice, but you know, We'll have to see. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, at some point down the road, they will, you know, find out something. Like a few doctors have told me that, you know, stem cell, you know, research is coming along slowly. So
0: yeah, yeah and well. it's and Noah, it's very interesting that you make mention, and it almost is that idea of the Canadian medical system how. Here in Canada, or even the North, or in North America, they can't find what's going on. And then you have a friend who, who goes all the way across the pond, and it's just like, oh, that's what you have, right? So, that that's very telling of our medical system here.
1: Yeah, I find it. It's you know, it's partly of training, and then I think it's also the, uh, the other side of you know value it you know that's the best way to say it you know they don't really value that level of um, expertise or uniqueness in you know the practice that they do because you know experimentation on this side is a little bit more it's not as um, fluid as it is like say in the UK or Europe in
0: itself Like I said, very interesting that you went through that whole process from blood work to biopsies to MRIs. So I feel like you've been through the gamut, my friend.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, mean, I've learned to appreciate people who go in the MRI machine much more now because the first time I went in there, I... I felt so uncomfortable and claustrophobic mm-hmm. because they had to put my feet, they you know, they, they put your head in that, in that, like, it's a block where they keep it so it sits straight. And then they give you the headphones to put in and they lock your head in and then they put a cage on top of your head mm-hmm. so you can't move. And you're lying flat,
0: mm-hmm. so not
1: only you're trying to like they're telling you don't move, don't move. My throat's getting dry, you know, and I'm trying not to cough. Yeah. And then, you know, you're sitting there, and you know, like they, they say, oh, it's going to take fifteen minutes. The longest one I had was about like forty minutes, jeez, and wow. it was it was a long time. And I remember it was the forty minute one was where I had the nicest technician period all the other technicians I had six MRIs I had one nice technician mm. she was really nice she said okay you need anything she went and got me water and she had you know brought the water so I could have a couple of sips of water so when I was done she rolled me out let me, you know let me give me a few minutes all the ones would just let me sit in the tube
0: mm. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want
1: me to come out. And they're like, oh, no, you're moving too much. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's happening. And she goes, okay, if you need to move around, we'll pull you out. let You shift a little bit, and then you can go back in. And, yeah, I think that was the last MRI I had. And it was, like, the best MRI I had since. I told her, I remember telling her, I was like, can you do all my
0: MRIs? <laughs> and, and definitely shout-outs to that nice, what is it, I guess, medical engineer who is good to Martin. So if you're listening, shout outs. Yes, shout out, yes. Shout out to the wonderful service. So I'm just gonna go into the next question. And here at the land oh. we 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 always speak about uh, having that uh intersecting identity between race and disability and one that I had a couple of guests on the show uh who are black men and just that different experience of being being a black man with sight loss. So I want to ask you, what was your uh, type of experience being a black man who recently lost his sight? And what were the challenges of that?
1: That's interesting. I mean, you know, you're not only carrying the single weight of being, you know, a black male, now you're carrying the single weight of also being, you know, disabled, uh, disabled black male. So, that makes things even more heavier on you and you know it's different because you know you're already you're trying to do your best to put yourself in the best light possible so people don't look at you the wrong way or any or any type of way but then when you have your disability they they kind of view view you a little bit different too like um You know, you get a little bit of different response because I know I have some, you know, (sighs) you would say, yeah, I would would say, you know, I have some white friends that are um, uh, visually impaired. And, you know, their responses and interactions with the general public always seem a little bit different from the ones I hear from, you know, other people that I know that are black and it's always interesting because i guess we have a lower representation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: generally in the disability genre or the field because you know i mean aside from (laughs) aside from the only two known you know a black visually impaired rep you know people that represent us which is you know ray charles and Stevie Wonder we don't really have much others I mean yes there's a couple other people that will you know skate under there I mean Harriet Tubman did have a little bit of sight loss um only just recently I learned about uh Willie O'Ree who's the first uh African-American to play in the NHL Mm -hmm. and he also had um only like he had a he only had about he had five percent of his vision in one eye and i think about 95 in the other
0: yeah
1: so not only he's like the 1st African afric-american to play in the nhl but he's also like one of the first people to play with a reduced reduced sight which is impressive but other than that you know like you look back and we don't really have much and everybody always likes to you know (laughs) hate to use that you know like Stigma of like, you know, they'll like put us. They'll you know, like they'll put us in that template of either you're Stevie Wonder or Ray Charles.
0: Exactly.
1: And I always get the, uh you know, there people look at me. Well, how do I know that you're blind? I I think that you're, you know, I think you're faking. And because I'm not swaying to side to side when I'm talking like Stevie Wonder, you know. So that's their that's their viewpoint. Which is always, you know, frustrating because that's the only representation we have, and then you know, we have to like go out there and say, "No, there's more. There's there's me. There's you. There's the other person. You know, there's more of us than you realize." So,
0: yeah. yeah, and the one thing I I find is people don't associate. The look of a black male with blindness, and especially with you, mother I know you're you're six foot, is it six two or six feet? Yeah, six six foot. So it's almost like people associate blind folks with these those small meek individuals, and then when you're here's a black dude who's six foot, and then. Even with myself, uh, a different kind of build, a muscular build, they're like that person's not blind. Like, what, what the heck? This well, is not the person I expect to be, you know? Right,
1: because you know, you know, they look like they they look at all, you know, look at all people with levels of visual impairment. They don't look at anybody being um, a certain type. Like, they kind of, like, would pigeonhole us all, okay, you're kind of, you know, smaller, skinnier, weaker, you know, more helpless than anything else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then, yes. you know, hey, you know, like, okay, he's an athlete. and He's visually impaired. Like, they don't see it that way.
0: Exactly. So, and it's interesting because I almost see looking at blackness especially black men and then looking at disability you look at it as a spectrum right and here's a spectrum where it shows vulnerability on one side and here's a spectrum that shows i i don't know not the word aggressiveness but um what's the right word uh independence uh pride i don't i wouldn't say ego but just and I'm gonna yeah, add, a little bit of ego
1: in there it's, just, it's a little bit of ego yeah, in
0: yeah, there yeah but, and know? just just this independence and then it's just like okay so once someone has a disability with a black man where do they sit on the spectrum where are they, like are they turning more to vulnerability because the sight loss, or is it still that that the black man where it's that Independence that uh toughness and it's it's very interesting that you made mention of the representation of Stevie Wonder because now everybody just knows oh Martin Springer do you do you play the piano <laughs> like <No>. uh, harmonica <laughs> and it's just funny because it's just those stereotypes and it's nothing else that is associated with a black blind man
1: I mean you know I appreciate everybody would hope that, that I I'm a musical genius <laughs> like Stevie Wonder like you yeah. know that's great And, you know, it's always funny when, you know, you know, everybody uses those comparisons and then you get all those understanding background myths like you know like how people like i've heard a few times people tell stories of like apparently ray charles used to drive way back in the day mm. i'm like okay but it's hard to find that actual information but it's stories told by other musicians that will say yeah he used to drive you know he had one single route and he would back his car out drive out and go back in which is interesting or the like the myth that comes with uh stevie wonder like you'll hear plethora of people talking about like you know that they don't believe that he's fully blind
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like i remember watching a clip of shaq saying he got in the elevator
0: yeah i remember that yeah
1: wonder came up and he turned to him and called and said hi shaq and Shaq was like yeah i don't believe you're blind (laughs) or Or, you know, like there are talks about how he knows his way around the White House. Well, that's true because he's been in the White House as many as many presidents have been in there. But I mean, it's just things like that where people question and then they will turn to us and say, oh, so are you like that? Mm -hmm. Or my favorite is, you know, they'll compare us to Daredevil. Mm. it's like yeah i have echolocation i can catch things (laughs) not even knowing it's flying in the air you know like yeah i don't have all those extra skills but you know i do have other skills
0: yeah yep yep and it's definitely a lot of those stereotypes and misconceptions and yeah, it definitely it definitely comes hard and it's it's so funny, actually. Uh I don't know if I'm going a little off topic, but I still remember that Eddie Murphy uh, joke about Stevie Wonder. It's like Stevie's a musical genius, he can do anything. <laughs> okay, here's the wheel, Stevie. So <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. I, a- yeah. 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 That's what I always uh think about when I hear driving in uh Stevie Wonder, but uh it's it's so true with representation and I I feel that we're definitely making a difference with speaking about this and showing yeah. that yeah, there's black men with sight loss. And I exactly. think I,
1: I I the only the issue I have now is like I've realized this over the last few years. And as I decided to, you know, push along with my life, you know, like, you know, stop wallowing and start doing more things. I realized that even the overall representation for the visually impaired. Is really misconceived because everybody bases it off what they see on TV and in movies. And it's really damaging to us because we we always got got to pose with those questions, like, oh, are your all your senses enhanced? No, you lose one, it kind of balances itself out. It doesn't all of a sudden I don't get super dog hearing. Um, you know, it's like like my favorite one that I always encounter and I I just recently encountered this too where someone like oh my god you can't see me I'm like no you have no idea what I look like I'm like yeah no but then they'll proceed here you have to touch my face and I'm like (laughs) I'm like yeah this is not a movie this is not like ghost or something like you know this is not a moment for me to feel up your face because you know it's not, not to say it's creepy, but it makes makes yourself a little uncomfortable. And I just recently had this, like you know, like meeting a friend of mine. Um, he introduced me to a friend of his, and she was like, "Oh my god, you know, like I didn't know that you can't see me. Really, you can't see me." And I'm like, "No," because he, of course, he failed to mention that I was visually impaired, which was mm-hmm. funny. But I carry myself like I'm not. I'm like I do have sights so I guess that's a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of a misdirection but she was like okay here you know here touch my face mm-hmm. you know so you can feel how so you can have an idea but I'm like that's really not going to paint the picture any better because you know like I can't see and you know what I can feel texture wise is not gonna properly give me what you know you would expect expect it to give me
0: yeah, and then no, no offense to people who want the face touch, but to be honest, right. I would I wouldn't want my face. Uh, well, I find it unhygienic. I don't know where those hands have been, and how, <laughs> that's <my> true. <laughs> like, it,
1: so it's a more of an intimate thing to do. You just don't, uh, you know, want to beat up somebody in here, or feel me up, because then it's like, yeah, like my kids are used to used to complain as a kid. When they were kids, I used to touch their face a lot, yeah. and I remember one of my friends go like, "You know what? You're touching your face. It's like if you're just slapping them hard." I'm like, "No, it's not <laughs> like that." But then they also remind you, like, "Look at the size of your hand and uh, the size uh, of its face." So yeah, so yeah. thinking about it now, you're looking, you know, you got to go and touch a stranger's face, and you're like mushing up their face, and if they have makeup on, now you have that all in your hand, mm-hmm. the oils. I'm like, "No, no, 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 and then no. The- we got to get rid of that." you know, that, that's like the first thing that we have to remove.
0: <laughs> and then for some people, you'd be like, oh, there's a girl on your face. <laughs> there's some people. So <laughs> I know bad listeners that was that was a bad joke. That was a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, so you Noah, know I'm going to go into my next question. And I, sure. I find this as is such a unique identity where you are a father a a black, ah, uh, father with sight loss, and then you have uh, you have your kids, and then you have uh, your grandchildren as well. So I want you to share about um about even that experience because I know stereotypically a lot of people are like thinking, oh, black father, kids sight loss, how does he raise his kids? So I want you to kind of share with the audience your, your experience. Sure.
1: Um, so lucky enough, I was, I wouldn't say lucky enough, I was able to at least, you know, have the joy of raising my children for a good chunk of their lives. So they made it all the way, almost all the way through univer- uh not university, through high school. So I had that luxury of at least enjoying that time when they were younger and when they're coming up to being teenagers the sad part about all of it about especially losing my sight I had plans to do things with my kids so it's been a it's been a much greater struggle with that like when you lose your sight because you know like I didn't get a chance to teach my kids how to drive and that was one of my plans I was like I was all right all right you know like you know my daughter was around the you know getting ready into the age and you know my other daughter and then my son and I was like okay you know my plan was all right you know like I'm gonna get another car and then I'm gonna get a like you know a little beater wagon for them so they can you know draw, you know learn to drive and maybe potentially drive around and I also had plans of taking them on trips mm-hmm. and things but you know the sight loss literally derailed that and you know, the frustrating part about when it derailed it all that I lost about a couple of years of trying to figure out and finding myself while, you know, they're still growing up. And I'm, mm. you know, unfortunately, you know, you don't stop being a parent no matter what. So mm. I had to like struggle with the sight loss will trying to still trying to maintain being a parent. And it's, really hard like i'm just happy enough that you know my kids were old enough when i lost my sight because if they were much younger i don't know how any of this would have uh, turned out
0: yeah and i have a really good feeling just i know you and just how resilient you are i feel like you would find a way like i i just know know you I know you're skilled in the kitchen I know you have so many different different skill sets and adaptability that I know you'd find a way for sure it's like I said it was a
1: struggle because the the hardest part was you know when I started to lose my sight more and more I had to become reliant on my children more than I wanted to be like, mm-hmm. they had to fill in, uh, not only me being a parent, they also had to be, like, my sighted guide. They had to be my my eyes and my hands. Mm-hmm. And they had to, at times, like, I would say grow up a little bit more than they should have had to grow up. And I'm upset that that had to happen, but also happy because, you know, it also, you know, helped round them out a little bit more oh, you know man. and I'm pretty sure they're a little resentful for you know my sight loss and I put all that weight on them but you know when I'm you know you're when you're single and you know the rest of my family was you know very supportive but they came in at a pinch especially like with technology um, the hardest part for me was I you know I'm an IT person so I'm very technical but I like to know how things work And when I started to lose my sight, I was using an Android phone. Then I realized after having my first intake with the independent living specialist, they're like, you know, you should get an iPhone because it's more designed and it's more designed for, you know, people with disabilities and it would make things easier. Now, (laughs) people who know me, I'm not a big Apple person like I've never really, su- I, I used to hate Apple. Like I <laughs> I could tell you the amount of times I've touched an Apple device. I've used like the original iMac and iMac two. And then you no, know, like the original Mac, sorry, let me correct myself. The original Mac, like the Macintosh I've used the first two versions of that. And I used the I lightly played around with the original iMac. And then I probably touched the iPhone three GS like twice. So, handing me an iPhone and saying, "Here, yeah, figure it out," was not great, especially when I can't see. So I had to rely on my kids because all my kids had iPhones. So <laughs> they were my—they were literally teaching me, which I find so hilarious about how to use an iPhone. And now I can, not much better, and I can whiz around on it. But it was a lot for me to rely on them because it was like a lot of stuff that wasn't even accessible at the time when I started losing my sight. Like you know now it's interesting how apps are more accessible but at that time you know uber wasn't really accessible Mm -hmm. properly you know i i struggled ordering food amazon oh my god it was even a pain in the butt Mm -hmm. like all that stuff was so hard and it took me so long and then i was relying on them i was like my daughter can you know my uh, middle daughter can attest like between her between her and her younger sister and their baby brother I literally was like on average once a day calling them asking for help or they were with me they were helping me out mm. but you know now now things are much better and I've adapted and they've gotten better and you know they, they don't need my you know I don't use them as much because you know I've adapted them much more and I'm really appreciative of my kids. I always give them as much love as I can, and they know it. And you know, I'm happy even more now that I'm a grandfather, and yeah. my uh, my little princess is the reason why I do everything now because I want to make sure that down the road I'm here for her and I can give her as
0: much love and attention as she can get from me. Oh, no, that's that's so sweet, Martin. And yeah, I. I i just know that your your kids are are very proud of you and uh even what you were making mention of asking from for help from your kids and probably asking for help from different family members and something i find here as men you know that that whole thing sometimes men don't like to ask for help and then you have that whole adage of being a black man because we I feel like for generations we were putting us that oh you're 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 a man you you shouldn't be asking for help you you could take the world on your own right you it's yeah you don't want
1: to us. come off as weak
0: Yeah you vulnerability don't, you don't want to come
1: off as weak or meek or anything like that. You wanna like you know because we have a very strong heritage that we have to uphold and yeah. Exactly. I, I struggled a lot asking for help. Like at times I would just suck up and not ask for help. And I didn't even you know it took a long while, even for me to ask for help from my friends and my friends always say, if you need anything, let me know. And I'm like, Oh man, I don't want to ask for help because I was never, you know, like they were, I was always the one that they would come to for help. Now I'm like the role to reverse. And it was very frustrating, you know, to always ask for help, even getting to the point of even, you know, going to CNIB and balance and, you know, getting help there—that was even a struggle for me because I didn't want to show that you know I didn't know anything or I couldn't help myself. But <laughs> you'll be amazed how fast it—you know—it humbles you really quick and really hard. You no,
0: know I—I was in that same same place where I hated asking for help, right? And. Uh, part of that is obviously that generational thing where men don't ask for help, or uh, having a disability, you're looked at as oh, dependent on other people, and then being a black dude, you're almost, you're, you it's almost uh, a compromise of your intelligence, where it's just like, oh, I have to ask for help. People think I'm, I'm, I'm dumb, right? But right. just like you say, it humbles you quickly when. Here's yourself struggling with something when you could easily just just ask right and I feel like you look better coming on the other side when you do take away that 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 pride and that ego and just have that vulnerability and I feel like it does make you even stronger the fact that I I like to think of it like as an obstacle course or a maze right you have someone who's just like I don't want help I don't want help through this maze right And then you have someone who like, okay, you know what? I'll take the help, the help that I believe I need, right? Not like Mm -hmm. you're depending on if someone all the time and you're you're codependent. And I could just imagine the person just getting through the maze and then be like, okay, let's go for the dinner while this person's still struggling. Be like, don't help me. And (laughs) it's still stuck at like the first part of it. You know what I mean?
1: Well, totally. Like I feel that, because of all that, you know, my inability to even, you know, subject myself to asking for help, you know, you know, hindered and hurt a lot of things along the way. Like, I even noticed it when, you know, reflecting back now when I was at work and my sight was going, I didn't know what was happening. I thought, it, you know, you think of all these things, like you read and you like study, it's like, oh, it could be my glasses, or you know, I, or there's something going on. Maybe the monitor I'm staring at is out of phase and it's not sharp or something. and then you make adjustments and then it got to the point where I didn't even realize it was it was affecting everything. It was affecting my, you know like interesting part, I didn't realize when my site was going that I made changes on my phone that affected even the time my phone was keeping. That I mm-hmm. I couldn't I didn't pick up on, and then uh, when I was at work, I was you know it was affecting my work. It was affecting to the, my work to the point where I wasn't even getting things done properly because I, I was like I didn't want to ask for help. I couldn't even tell. I couldn't even. I didn't even know how to ask for help because mm. I didn't even know what was going on. It took it took my best friend telling me, you know, dude, just go home. Mm. <laughs> like, basically, she said, just go home, go home, go to the CNIB, figure out what the hell's going on. You know, and I was like, yeah, I guess I'm going to have to, because, you know, my doctor is sending me to all these doctors and there's no response and and anything. They're just picking things out in the air. It's like, oh, it could be this. It could be this. It could be this. And, you know, you have to make those tough decisions. And then after that, I realized I should have been asking for help, but, you know, should have, could have, would have, you know, that's always a thing after the fact you can realize and reflect and see that, you know, hey that's
0: when you should have done something. Yeah, and it is good that you went at the time and you looked at what was going on and you seek that support and it, just the the resources, because think of it, if you were a stubborn person and you're like, I'm just gonna play this through, I'm not gonna use a cane, even though my, my vision's getting worse, I'm gonna just treat everything like it's the same look at where you could have ended up harmed you could have ended up hurt so i think i think it's a blessing for sure the fact that yeah you went to seek program and support at that time for sure well it did
1: take a while for me to get used to using my cane though like i remember i got my cane it was like october and i started my um started my i think it was october november i started doing my training and i didn't leave the house with my cane until like sometime in december mm. like i still had enough sight that i would i mastered the art of following people yeah so you know with my field of vision narrowed so much that i couldn't even i had to tilt my head to look down so i would walk with my head tilted slightly down and watching the people in front of me, which is not the safest thing in the world, but I was able to navigate my way around with no problem. I didn't realize until after I did my first set of O and M training that I was like, oh, okay, this is what it does. This is what it helps me with. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't want it to walk with the cane because I didn't want to show that I was visually impaired. I was like, you know, that level of embarrassment, you know, in the beginning, like, ah, oh, crap. Like it, like it's like when you case in point when i hurt when i tore my achilles um i didn't want to walk with the air cast on Mm -hmm. i didn't want to walk with using the crutches because i felt like i didn't want that extra set of pity but yeah then you realize (laughs) it's not pity it's
0: help exactly exactly and i i feel like when you have that mindset where yeah you're like everybody's looking at me for pity and and kind of victimizing yourself i do i did it before I, I i done it before and i almost feel like when you start taking that self-victimization where everybody feels bad for me and you're just like no one really gives a damn yeah and i'm just like another another dude and you're like yeah the way i am right yeah
1: so, like you know and that's the thing it's like you know you it takes a little bit to get to that point like you then you realize the interesting part is you always find out, you know, in the months of, in the midst of all that, you know, how your family is going to react when they, when you actually embrace it and how your friends react, because then your friends are like, oh, okay, you need that. We're willing to do that for you. Yeah. And then you, you know, you have that, but in the beginning when you're like, I don't want to do this. And then they're like, okay, what's the hell's going on? Like, you know, anyway. you just got to have that, you know, you, gotta, you at some point you just us got to suck it up and it's hard to suck it up.
0: Yeah, you know, embrace it. The one thing, and I'm I'm gonna let the audience and the listeners know that you are you are the man in the kitchen. You're like the Black Emerald Lagace, or who no one listens to Emerald Lagace or watches him anymore. But you're like the Black Gordon Ramsay, minus the the meanness. You know what I mean? You, yeah, <laughs> uh, you you put it down in the the kitchen for sure, and I feel like that's that's a way where it shows like you're independent, right? You are yeah. Yeah. independent in in ways and forms and not codependent in everything for sure.
1: No, it it took me a little bit to get comfortable. Like, I think the advantage for me was I was already, you know, like I was cooking. I've been cooking since I was a child because my mother felt that, you know, (laughs) you know, Always the funny story, you know, like my mom, my mom just made this decision and says, you know, like either you, when you come home from school, you got to make yourself something to eat because, you know, no one's going to go buy you McDonald's. (laughs) So, you know, it was, you know, you start off learning how to boil hot dogs and then you learn how to boil eggs and you learn how to fry an egg. And then, you know, so I've been cooking, you know, on and off for a little bit. And then, you know, when my kids came along. I had to ramp up my cooking skills and my knowledge. And I spent a lot of time watching the Food Network. So I always adapted here and there. And, you know, I won't say I'm great. I just said I'm okay. You know, I'm pretty good. I can cook when need be. And I prefer to cook for people than cook for myself. And, you know, the transition to losing my sight, you know, the good part was I was still cooking. I was still living on my own when I lost my sight. So I had to... I had to use certain things I didn't anticipate I would have to use. Mm-hmm. Like um, when cooking, I, like before I would just be very, um, what's the best way to say it? They're very, you know, open and fluid. I wouldn't have to worry about times or anything like that. And you just throw it on and you just kind of play around with it and you look at it. You know, the loss of sight took away a lot because, you know, like when you're cooking certain things, you need to look and see if it's cooked or not I had to adapt to the fact that I had to overcook things and then Mm -hmm. work my way backwards Mm -hmm. Uh, I had to start listening to how things are cooking and then I have to start timing things because you know it's like I you know I had to relearn how to cook a steak properly because I was cooking a steak too much Mm -hmm. now I was like all right I put a timer on it's like six minutes three minutes one side three minutes the other or I flip it and flop back and forth and you know like the things I haven't mastered or, you know, I'm able to do while I'm, you know, visually impaired is to bake properly because, Mm. you know, you need a little bit of sight for that. And, you know, thankfully, you know, I've successfully pulled off one or two things when I bake, but normally I try to just stick to just, you know, cooking food like, I don't fry, but I oven fry. So, and I just, you know, starting to get my skills with using an air fryer now. So, you know, the one thing I do miss doing, miss able to cook is I can't, you know, I've done it a couple of times. I don't highly suggest it for people, but I have cooked on the barbecue a couple of times. I've had Mm -hmm. assistance, but you know, the problem with the barbecue, you get flare ups and whatnot. I could still light the barbecue. That's not a problem, but uh (laughs) cooking on it properly is always a little bit of difficulty.
0: Yeah. And, and no, it's actually funny. Like I rather the barbecue, but I have a, a gas barbecue, so it makes it a little bit easier. Mm. So yeah, but yeah, I, I rather the, I love the barbecue, especially some good steaks for sure. So uh, one, so another question I have uh, for you, and this is geared gear towards the the sight loss community. I even. Mean, even black men with sight loss who want to be potential fathers and kind of having that fear of, uh, I have sight loss. How am I supposed to, to drive my kids to practice? How am I supposed to drive them to doctor's appointments? Would you, what's your advice for individuals who feel that way?
1: Well, that's really hard. um, (laughs) You know, it's interesting part out of all this is since I've lost my sight and I've been part of the visually impaired community and I'm starting to branch out and meet more and more people, I still find that I'm a little bit of an anomaly that, you know, there is not, I haven't encountered a lot of people that have children that are, have sight loss, you know, which not to say there isn't, I know some have lost sight, you know, much later. But, you know, very few of them that would have lost sight, you know, when their kids were somewhat younger and I've struggled with the, you know, that whole picking up and dropping off thing because I like my son was playing hockey and, you know, after a while I couldn't enjoy him playing hockey. Or like, you know, like when my other kids were doing things, I couldn't enjoy that. Like I missed graduation because it was too hard for me to get out there. So for everybody nowadays, I mean, we do have the advantage of, you know, depending where you are, there's wheel trends or there's an uh, another option like that, or you can Uber, but all that, it's going to just take up a lot of money and, you know... You know for future parents i would just say you know you have to think it through uh you know if you're both visually impaired i have no idea how you're gonna pull it off i mean for me for me over the time i've always dipped into my previous you know parenting skills like raising five kids i have a boatload of nieces and nephews, some related, not not all related, but I've you know my friends and I've assisted with them with their kids and helping raise and offering up information when it needs to be and then realizing nowadays uh, the the realm of being a parent has drastically changed since I raised my kids because you know. I mean, they said before, a kid, like, you know, the investment for a kid was like about a hundred grand, you know, when we were a lot younger. Now, the investment for a kid is at least a good million because, you know, things are way more expensive. So, I know even for us in the visually impaired community, a disability community itself, I mean, you, know, you weren't able to afford that with ODSP. You have to make sure that you have some kind of funds. And, you know, really, if you're going to look at getting kids, when I'm getting kids
0: <laughs> let me rephrase
1: it if you're looking to have kids mm-hmm. I would suggest um spending some time with someone who has kids at all age levels um one of the things that I say that was um a turning point for me it must have been about uh about 2000 was it 2017. know it's probably 2017 i was already home you know from work off on ltd and i was just coming off of feeling really into myself and my best friend who's also like my air quotes my work wife uh she was home on uh maternity leave with her youngest son well their youngest which is you know a son um and she decided, you know, hey, I'm home. You're home. You're not doing anything. I miss hanging out. With you come and stay with me for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Okay, this is great. Because it will get me out of the house. It will get me. It'll be, make me more interactive. And, you know, I'm not wallowing in myself. Yeah. And it turned out that couple of days ended up pretty much three weeks. <laughs> Uh, the great part was because her son was coming up to one years old and he was at that age of starting, he was crawling and whatnot. I was interacting with him. I was playing with him. I was trying to teach him how to walk and this kid would get on the ground and dart fast, 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 fast. Like, I mean, if we put him in like crawl, uh, baby crawling races, I know this boy would win. Mm. But the, the part that kind of threw her off was I was keeping up with him and I could find him because I was listening to him and it helped me develop some skills that I didn't realize I had and I could utilize like using a bit of echolocation um just using you know knowing knowing your environment enough so you know how to maneuver around it and all that. And I was just like racing around behind him all the time. And he was crawling and you know, and the thing is you have to be fast because he would always find his way to the dog's food
0: oh. and always try to
1: pull out his food. So if you <laughs> weren't fast, you know, that's about it. And I had to keep up with him. And she was quite impressed with that. And even then it was like we would have I would sit down and play with him. And then sometimes I would, you know, it became almost a, almost a daily thing. I would put him down for a nap. And she was amazed at how well I can just, you know get them down for a nap and i said no it's not a problem i i had kids and but it also helped me you know realizing you know not just realize you know like just embrace the fact that i have a new set of skills and it was good and you know it's something that i feel if future parents want to have i think they need to interact with kids at all levels like with my granddaughter who's going to be two in May I've been around her since I always say this and people always find it funny fresh out of the package when she was Mm. born (laughs) like I was holding her and feeding her like five was it five days after she was born um I was helping my daughter take care of him take care of her all the time like, I practically lived with her for about almost six months. I was up there all the time, spending time day in, day out. And, you know, she was quite impressed. Like, I, you know, I was, like, I would put her to, you know, like, when she would wake and cry, when she would cry out of, you know, like when she would wake up and start crying. I knew where to find her. I knew how to get out of her seat or out of her playpen or where she was. And I would take her up. I would carry her, you know, like, out to the point where I can even feed her. And then, you know, so... All those, all that just help, you know, build up the skill set to where I'm at now. And I'm more comfortable. Like even now that I, you know, at two, I can take care of her for a couple of hours by myself. She'll run around, but I know where she is. And I, you know, she, she'll be with me. Like I've changed her diapers a few times already, you know, not the poopy ones, but the wet ones. But <laughs> I've changed her diaper. I, I, I will, you know, i put her in her high chair i'll give her dinner to eat or lunch to eat and she'll eat like you know so it's not that difficult for me because i've Mm. you know had the previous experience but for you know people who don't have that previous experience i would suggest that you get some experience embrace that you know see if that's what you're willing to put that time and effort into because it's a lot of time and a lot of effort and you think it's hard now being visually impaired Throw a kid in there, and it makes it a lot harder.
0: Yeah, I could definitely imagine, and definitely, uh, what I got from you is just that adaptability, right? And mm-hmm. uh, to get those resources, and I feel like you're you're a perfect resource for anybody who is thinking to have kids. Someone like me, if I ever do have a kid, I'm I definitely tap on you and and get that advice. So thank you so much for providing that. Uh, we're I- running out of uh some time or we're running out of time so Already. i'm just wondering yeah oh this see that's what happens with the lens living diverse we just fly through a conversation and this was such an right. amazing conversation uh any last words out of all of everything we had a conversation about anything you want to let the listeners know well as one a couple couple of quotes I
1: always like to I like to go by you know like life moves pretty fast you don't stop and look around once in a while you could miss it and I've never sucked that in until I got much older and I realized how much I miss out on since I didn't take a lot of I just took time for granted And that's always the thing. You don't want to take time for granted. You want to utilize as much as possible. You want to do as much as you can when you can and however you can. Because, you know, I'm playing the shoulda, coulda, woulda game more than I should have been. And I should have taken the opportunity to do more things. Like, go take my kids on trips. Be more interactive. Do more stuff for myself. You know, I'm going to be 50 soon. Scares the crap out of me but uh, I, there's still so much more I have on my plate to do that I didn't get to do. And I feel that, you know, not, this, not that I wasted my time. I just feel that I didn't utilize the time as much as I should have. And now I'm trying to make up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, it's, you know, it's okay if you go dark. I mean, we all have those times when we get really dark. You just have to re- learn to rely on the people you surround yourself with. I have a pretty good set of friends, I would say. You know, some some of them actually have gone to the depths of reaching in and making sure, pulling me out of dark places, and I appreciate that, you know. Like my best friend, you know my work wife. She's done a lot to make sure that I don't get into those, you know, deep places, and always telling me to come out and stealing me and abducting me to her house. And <laughs> it's funny because her her partner is like, "Oh, I guess we adopted Marty now." So, <laughs> so it's always good, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's okay." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm I'm happy for that." You know, it's it puts a smile on my face and makes things good and I have other friends that would just call and check on me um you know just uh, one of my friend my other friend um she would in the beginning she just made every effort to call me every other day mm-hmm. just to make sure I was okay and then you know I appreciate that because that you know helped me out a lot and then I have other friends that would say hey just don't sit at home come over to my house mm-hmm. you know come and hang out you know, we don't have to go out anywhere, but we hang out. And that got me to the point where I'm at now, where I'm more comfortable going out. And, I got, you know, like a whole new set of other friends. You know, we do all a whole bunch of things. And that's what you just need to do. I mean, it's hard to come out of the shell. But it's you're going to have to try to. And, you know, darkness is there. It's not going to go away. We, you it, It's part of the balance of life. You know, you know not to quote you know star wars but we need that balance you know there is darkness there is light you can't you know you can get sucked into the darkness and feel all sad but you know you also have to think about the stuff that makes you happy and you know my shining point you know is a lot of the things i did but right now like i'm you know my granddaughter is my sun is my light is my is what keeps me going it keeps pushing me more and more more and more forward and i think everybody needs something like that you know it doesn't matter if it's a person a place a thing just something you just need to focus on and you'll be amazed how much better things will get
0: mm, wise words from our wise wise man thank you so much marty uh, thank you for being on uh, today's episode, and definitely, 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 we'll, we'll we'll get you on another episode for sure. Sure. Why not? I really enjoyed this. So thank you, everybody, for listening to The Lens Living Diverse. What a wonderful episode with Marden. Uh, so if you like today's episode and episodes in the past, you could press the like or subscribe on your favorite platforms also, for more information about the CNIB Diversity and Inclusion, you can visit www.cnib.ca and then go to the advocacy portion and then visit We Are CNIB, uh, where you could get your fill of diversity and inclusion. And then, last but not least, if you have any feedback or interested in being a part of the Lens Living Diverse, you could email us at advocacy at cnib.ca once again advocacy at cnib.ca so once again i was your host for today ben and thank you for listening to the lens living diverse peace